Hello, everybody, and welcome to the show. We are approaching the sixth, eighth, fourth week of lockdown from the coronavirus, also known as the COVID-19 virus, also known as the Wuhan virus, or the um, Chinese Communist Party virus, which people who want to like be confrontational on social media, but also give themselves some degree of uh, plausible deniability so that they can say, hey, I'm not actually racist virus. <laughs> um, so things have been getting a little weird around here. You know, I mean, we've been we've 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 still had to go to work. We're essential employees. But these past couple of weeks, I haven't had to go to work. So I've been stranded on, quote unquote, this rock, you know, for a while now with nobody but Ramel and Sal. And uh, it's been getting a little weird around here. You know, it's been getting a little... Um, I've just, I feel like I've lost my sense of time and place. And, um, you know, I'm almost living in this, this uh, state. You could call it a state of mind. You could call it a spiritual state where um, the days just kind of blur together. And I feel like, um, you know, it's, you know, it's purgatory, basically. But um, anyway, that's what I've been dealing with. You're probably not quite there because you've still had to work this past week. Have I? How little I might actually know about the person who I, you know, live under the same room with. Have I always had a beard? roof with. Have I always had a beard, Will? Um, you don't really How have a beard. How fast does a beard grow, Will? Uh, you don't really have a beard right now. I don't have I always to... been wearing these sunglasses? You, those look pretty cool. What about my mohawk? Um. My scraggly long hair? Or is it shaved? You want me to give you a mohawk? I did a pretty bank up job, yeah. you know, when I, with that mohawk. When are we, Will? When are we? Where are we? Well, it's funny you say that because that uh, sort of sets up the conversation for the two movies that we're going to be talking about today. Great um, movies. Well, pretty good movies. I would say I would say they're both great movies in their own um, in their own respect. You know, one of them is, in my opinion, just an absolute transcendental masterpiece, and then the other one is just a good fun bit of stylish sort of genre sci-fi horror that um that i enjoyed and it's beautiful and mm -hmm. anyway we are going to talk about how they're connected what are their themes uh how they come together to form a strange universe that exists where places are not static and time and space are irrelevant and people have to suffer through the sins they have committed in order for themselves to be judged. Mm -hmm. That's right. We're talking about the two famous movies about sin and judgment, The Lighthouse yep. and Event Horizon. Yes. Uh, the Lighthouse, um, the whole like uh, uh, sort of purgatory um, judgment, like I think interpretation that I reached 
uh, didn't really hit me the first time I saw it. Maybe not even the second. It wasn't something that I really like kind of thought about compulsively until the third time I watched this movie. But uh, it's something that's going to involve talking about the movie in its entirety, as well as its ending. Um, so if you haven't seen The Lighthouse, then pause, 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 and come back to us. And welcome alert. back. Yes. Spoiler alert. Uh, we haven't been giving spoiler alerts because we just assume people watch these movies. Yeah, do your freaking homework, people. But, you know, if you haven't watched these movies, or you have, it's all okay. I mean, I think the podcast is still pretty fun either way. Mm-hmm. Um, it's okay. Yeah. Also, we have new equipment, so we're going to sound hopefully a little better. Yeah, it's going to sound a little less echoey. Hopefully. Echo, echo, echo. <laughs> we don't know. We're actually really bad at this. Anyways. Hey, one sec. Anyways. Anyways. Um, so, uh, so before we kick off a plot synopsis followed by a discussion of these two movies, uh, do you have any thoughts that you want to share about? Actually, I do. Uh, I want to discuss something that maybe not a lot of fans out there know about. Maybe some of you do. But um, I want to talk about places that exist outside of uh, time and space. Because I feel like this is a common theme in both movies. Something common in both movies. Uh, so, there is a comic book out there, guys. I don't know if you guys know about it or not. Uh, it's called Hellblazer. Uh, tales of a certain uh, sorcerer magician, uh, British sorcerer magician by the name of John Constantine. Okay, I was going to say, is that what Constantine is yeah, based off of? Yeah, exactly. Okay, so John fine. Constantine, uh, at least I believe in some of the comics, he has a house called the House of Mystery. And the House of Mystery is an entity that is alive and exists... Um, in it outside of kind of space and time, it's as big as it wants to be, and it can be it can move through space and it can exist wherever it needs to exist and it can accommodate John Constantine however it needs to. Uh, like I said, it is an entity, so it is alive uh, and it can create manifest itself a being itself it's it can manifest a being within the house and it can. You know, this one helps John out, you know. It helps him do his thing. It's kind of like his uh, his Alfred to his his Bruce Wayne. Okay. Uh, and I, I just wanted to bring this up because I feel like this is what the lighthouse and the event horizon, the ship in the movie, the event horizon kind of are. They're mm -hmm. places that exist outside of space and time, and they serve a purpose. Now, what is this purpose? Uh, we'll get into that later on, but I want to say that these places exist in real life as well. Like, uh, there's actually this place. Will, I want to tell you about this place. All right, lay it on my called... skeptic mind. <laughs> it's actually a place in uh, Pennsylvania. Okay. It is called... So there's this place in Pennsylvania. I'll give you a short rundown. I, I don't know the... I completely forgot everything, but forget details. I'll just make it up, just like most things are made up in the world. Okay, that's fine. So there's a place in Pennsylvania that is just like said... like this place. It is, uh, it is called... Uh, it's a kind of like a myth, a legend, an urban legend. An urban legend. That says that there are seven gates that will lead you to hell if you pass through them 
a, at the site of an old burned down insane asylum mm-hmm. in Pennsylvania. Okay. Uh, so legend has it that an insane asylum burnt down there. And if you venture too close to this place, there are seven gates that open up. And that if you travel through all seven, you will find yourself in hell. So that's just one place here on Earth. That why exists. an insane asylum? I don't know. But also, why a lighthouse? Why a scientific exploration mm-hmm. spaceship? That Be- kind of stuff. Well, I mean, I know the lighthouse has significance. We'll get to that. Yes. I, do want to- I feel like I can come up with a decent answer, but just based on these sort of... Uh, mindset of each director for each respective movie, but we'll we'll get to that. Yeah, and then there's volcano. There's a volcano in Nicaragua. Yes, uh, I forget it, what it's called, but it's uh, the Spanish explorers when they first got here. Mm-hmm. It's an active volcano, so you when you peer inside, there is molten, uh, mm-hmm. molten lava, kind of like pouring around at, in its crater and all. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So Spanish explorers had no experience with volcanoes up to this point. I don't know if you knew this, but back in the 1400s, not a lot of people knew what a volcano was or what the inside of one looked like. So these priests would come, eventually arrive to this volcano, and they declared that it was an entryway to hell okay. because it looked like burning fire. It was destructive. It was red. It was mm-hmm. hot. And a lot of priests would justify the existence of this volcano as uh, proof that there was a hell. Gringos are stupid us. <laughs> and of course, these places, they exist throughout human history and throughout, uh, uh, I guess, human uh, mythology mm-hmm. is that we believe that there are places around the world that can travel, lead us to purgatory or hell. Uh, and and they, they, they are places that we have to fear. They're places we have to worship. Mm-hmm. There's actually in the Hierapolis... I believe it's a site in Turkey, uh, ancient Greeks, or no, ancient Romans would go there. It's actually a cave that exudes toxic fumes, and nearby there is a uh, hot spring that is warmed up by the fumes that come from this cave, mm. but it's not toxic over there. If you get into the cave, you will inhale toxin fumes and die. So people used to worship this cave as an entryway to hell, uh, the realm of Pluto, or okay. Hades for you Greek lovers out there. And they used to just send animals in there as sacrifices and just watch them die of poison. And to them, they felt like their souls had left their bodies as they uh, journeyed farther and farther into hell. Do you remember where this was? It is in Turkey, I believe, and it is called the Hierapolis. Okay. And it's uh, these are the places. But there's also another fictional place I want to mention, much like I mentioned the House of Mystery of John Constantine. Mm-hmm. Maybe there's something more folklory that maybe people will understand better. Uh, the House of Baba Yaga. Mm-hmm. She uh, lives in a house that roams the world on giant chicken legs. Uh, the house does. The house does. The it... house has giant chicken legs. Okay. And she lives in it and it roams... I guess the globe. Okay. Right? And it's uh, it's it's a funny thing to think about. But what's mm-hmm. weird about it is that the tr- the house doesn't have a static location. It moves. Mm-hmm. It journeys. It's uh, it exists outside of time and space. Much like the legend of Baba Yaga, mm-hmm. she exists everywhere all at once. Mm-hmm. And she also exists, uh, well, yeah, everywhere and always. Yeah. So. 
So um, I guess uh, for me, you know, I look at this topic and it makes me think of a couple of uh, movies from uh, this Russian guy named Andrei Tarkovsky who made... Mother. Right? Tark no. Or, no, are you thinking of Darren Aronofsky? Oops, my bad. <sighs> How embarrassing. Don't worry, we'll edit that out. <laughs> no, Tarkovsky was a Russian filmmaker... And he, you know, made these, like, beautiful sort of, yeah, like, very, like, poetic movies. We have Stalker right here. But he made a couple of movies, one of which was Stalker and one of which was Solaris. And they're uh, both movies that have the theme of Solaris is a movie that also takes place on a spaceship, much like One Event Horizon and then uh, Stalker is a movie that also has sort of a sci-fi uh, connotation to it and that it's about this uh, zone. It's literally called The Zone that was visited by um, what they're sort of alluded to as like alien visitors. And it has this weird like supernatural element to it. Yeah, and very, in, very normal. Very yeah. Normal. And in both movies, the spaceship in Solaris and the zone in Stalker sort of serve as or maybe it's the planet solaris i don't know either way in like both movies it's like there's a specific place that becomes this sort of window um for like introspection basically like in both movies the the characters will go to these places and it they force them to confront their own like fears and uh you know dreams and like uh, um, memories and that sort of thing. And they become these like zones for that, essentially. So that's kind of how I, I think that's like one way you could read these stories is how like certain places, um, even if they're not places you're familiar with, um, have a, a kind of like weird, maybe it's not a supernatural qual quality to them, but um, they become places where you like, you know. You reflect on your sin. Yeah. Now, do you, I guess my question is, when you uh, describe these different places, do you think that they could open up doors? Oh, to... most definitely. In fact, I think, uh, Will, I, want, I would like for you to be able to describe the plots of these movies very quickly. And I do want to get into what I think these movies are about. I have this underlying... Uh, theory about mm -hmm. these movies of course put on your conspiracy theory hats folks because I'm about to create a shared universe Strap between in. Lighthouse and Event Horizon <sighs> oh god alright <laughs> um, well th they both have very different sensibilities but who knows maybe Robert Eggers director of the Lighthouse basically here's the rundown so um, Event Horizon came out in 1997 and it was directed by W, Paul W.S. Anderson, not Paul Thomas Anderson, who directed Inherent Vice, which we talked about in a prior episode. Very different directors, but he, I believe, is the guy who directed the um, first Resident Evil movie and maybe the whole Resident Evil uh, franchise, which makes sense because these are very, like, Event Horizon is a very slick um, movie, like, stylistically. But uh, basically, it's about this uh, expedition of, like, astronauts and, and 
space engineers. I don't know what else to call them because I'm dumb as shit. But um, like a search and rescue team. Yeah, and they're sent out to um, find out what happened to this ship that one of the um, people on the expedition created. It's a ship called Event Horizon that um, basically has the power to, or the the technology to, I guess, travel through hypers? What is it? What does it do exactly? Uh, faster than light travel. It's creating a gate between two points. Yes. In time. Like, a, like an Einstein-Rosen bridge from a previous episode co- oh, that we did about Donnie Darko. Ah, right, right, right. Well, hey, maybe all four movies are part of the same. Maybe. We don't know yet. Maybe at the conclusion of this podcast, I'll make all movies take place in the same universe. I'd be Tarantino okay. style, baby. I would be a okay with that. I mean, but uh, but yeah. So they're sent out the basically this ship that Will Weir, one of the characters, invented that can travel faster than light, disappeared. It's reappeared back in the solar system. They don't know what's happened to it or its crew. So they're sent out to discover what. You know, what happened to it, basically. And hijinks ensue. And then The Lighthouse, which is uh, the last... It came out last year. 2019. 2019. We don't know what year you're listening to this. This is... Yeah. You could be... We could post this online and then something happens. Some nuclear holocaust. Some No, some electro-pulse... Electromagnetic pulse. Electromagnetic pulse wipes out... All technology. All technology, everything online, and the internet is destroyed, but there are only, like, bits and pieces of it, like, that that are, that remain in the internet wreckage, and our podcast is one of those wow. artifacts. Ooh, that's beautiful thought. Yeah. So that would be cool. That sounds like a good setup for a movie. If you write it, then just be sure to uh, credit me so I can get in on some of that. That's um, actually pretty interesting. I want to. They kind of do some of that in, in Cloud Atlas, this movie, mm-hmm. Tom Hanks in it. Uh, we'll get into that some other time. Yeah. The Wachowski sibling movie. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm familiar. I know Cloud Atlas. Oh, yeah, come on. Come on. Yeah, it is. Honestly, I do. I, I really do like that. Yeah. Let's. Put a pin in that for another episode. But um, so Robert Eggers directed this movie. He also directed another movie called The Witch, which um, when it came out, people hailed it as like one of the greatest horror movies of all time. They sort of um, attributed it to this like wave of like contemporary horror movies that's like redefining and sort of elevating horror. I like it. I think it's a really... um, There's definitely images in that movie that are very memorable. You know, I don't know. I thought it was a little... I thought it was a little overrated. But then he came out with his sophomore movie, The Lighthouse, um, last year, 2019, in case you're listening to this from the future, that is uh, less of a horror movie and more of sort of a weird psychological thriller drama. Um, And it's about two... Lighthouse keepers who are assigned to what's supposed to be like a two-week or two-month shift to uh, tend to this lighthouse. And then they both, uh, you know, it's about their time there and and all this weird spooky stuff starts happening and shenanigans ensue. Mm -hmm. So that's basically it. They're both sort of stranded in whatever movies. One is stranded in space, the other is stranded 
more or less at sea, or I guess on a little island on a rock. In the middle of the ocean. In the middle of the ocean. So, um, so what did you think of of these movies? Yeah, they're leaning. Let's first. I want to dive right into this and say, I love the feeling of isolation these movies create because. Um, okay, so in the lighthouse, they're isolated in the middle of the ocean. There's nothing more isolating than being in the vastness of the sea, and you're all by yourself, and nothing else is around you except the birds and the fish waiting to prey on your dead corpse. And that feeling is done excellently in the lighthouse, especially that final scene. Oh, It's very eerie. Eerie. And then let's not forget the greatest place of isolation in the universe the space itself nothing is alive out there it is a vacuum nothing else exists you are millions of miles billions perhaps of miles away from the next living thing and you are stuck in a environment that will literally kill you Mm -hmm. if you just step out of line for a moment and i'm bringing up isolation because uh I guess historically, like, isolation has always been a big part of achieving enlightenment, I suppose. Like, uh, ancient monks, you know, they always go and they uh, fast and they isolate themselves from the rest of society. Mm -hmm. And then they do this in order to achieve some kind of enlightenment or some kind of uh, purification uh, as one might. So I think, yeah, and like, I mean, I, I... It's weird you say that just because I, I um, some of my favorite like albums, especially albums from like electronic artists, will like the the background of them is like people will literally like not just like shut themselves in a room, shut themselves out from the rest of the world, but like you know put like black curtains over their windows and like just like really like isolate themselves, but also create a sense of like sensory. Um, deprivation deprivation almost like to the point where it's almost just you and your mind and the only thing you can do is tunnel further and further inward and that like that kind of um that aesthetic i think or that sort of sense of of that experience uh the lighthouse sort of touches on or it's sort of i guess is is a product of that yeah there's Um, no interference from the outside that's very, I think that's a big deal in kind of both movies. Another thing I want to touch on is I think uh, most listeners, well, maybe not all listeners, but there is this uh, theory uh, about the lighthouse. I think some of you might have heard of, not all of you, that it is a, it's kind of a metaphor for the story of Prometheus uh, taking fire from the gods and bringing it down to mankind. And uh, as a punishment for his sin, Prometheus uh, now has to have his liver pecked out by, I believe it's an eagle, mm-hmm. uh, every day of his life for eternity. And I think this is really like, you know, shown in the final scene in uh, The Lighthouse where Robert Pattinson's character is being pecked away at by seabirds and his body just lays kind of like open as uh, birds peck away at it. Uh, I bring up this mythological point because I want to say that there is something important about myth in both of these, both of these movies, 
And I want to use this concept of myth to share an underlying uh, universe that I want to say both movies exist in. I mean, I'm not going to say this exists in real life. Disclaimer, I'm not some strange religious person who believes in all these things. I'm not some weird archetype, psychological study guy, cultural mental collectiveness you know consciousness disclaimer to our religious viewers if you are that's no i'm just gonna yeah. that's fine. you know what i mean no, this I is all speculative this is me trying to find something in common with well maybe not try to justify like the commonality between the movies so my theory is that maybe perhaps in a world where the event horizon the lighthouse both happened uh myth is real and as a result, and myth is constantly happening uh, outside of space and time. We see repetitions of myth and folklore happening at all times in different places that exist outside of time and space. Uh, much like Baba Yaga's house and the house of mystery. Uh, much like the lighthouse and the event horizon. At these places... A myth is constantly repeated uh, over and over again, and it's uh, something that the universe kind of forces it to happen. At the lighthouse, we see that uh, Robert Pattinson is forced to relive the myth of Prometheus as he attempts to steal away the light of the gods, which in, in a way is the metaphor of him taking control of the lighthouse from Thomas Wake. As he, he wants to become the lighthouse keeper, he wants to be able to see the light of the lighthouse that he is not allowed to see. So he is forced to repeat the myth of Prometheus as he fights off against his superior, Thomas Wake in this point, in order to steal away just a vision of this light. And this vision of this light causes him to be punished. His mm -hmm. punishment is, I guess in the end of the movie, it's alluded to being his death. Uh, he is pecked, his body is pecked away by sea birds. Um, now, I also want to tie in that these places exist as places of torment and self-reflection for those who are forced to relive these myths. Robert Pattinson did commit a grave sin in, well, Robert Pattinson's character, Thomas Howard, mm -hmm. did commit a sin in his life. He uh, killed his foreman when he was working as a as a lumberjack, I believe, in Canada. Uh, and eventually he finds his way to this lighthouse, this mysterious lighthouse that seems to just exist somewhere out in the middle of nowhere. Uh, he finds himself there helping a strange entity, which is Thomas Wake. Yep. Thomas Wake kind of exists as a part of the lighthouse. He's been there forever, kind mm -hmm. of. He, he says that the lighthouse is his, he, that is his, it's mine. That's the, those are the words he uses to describe the light in the lighthouse is his only he can see it only he can use it he forbids yes. Robert Pattinson for seeing it thus Robert Pattinson is condemned to reflect on the sin of him killing his foreman and then he's once again forced to repeat it in order to complete the myth of Prometheus mm -hmm. it, well I think um, what's interesting about I mean the Pr Prometheus myth is sort of a, uh, a cautionary tale right yeah. it's about whatever flying too close to the sun it's about i mean that's icarus that's flying too close but it's it's sort of um about messing with forces that humanity has no business in touching now what's what's interesting about that is that if you think about like the sort of characteristics 
that you would think, well, of of Prometheus. Yeah, Prometheus, yes. It would be arrogance, right? Yeah, he he believes he knows better than the gods themselves, the titans themselves. He believes mankind deserves fire, right? He wants to give fire to mankind. Yes, but Robert Panson, his character, I wouldn't really describe him as arrogant. He, like, finds himself on this rock, and over the course of the movie, like... You do find out that he was, in a way, responsible for the death of his his foreman, you said? Yeah. But, I mean, from the way he tells it, it's not exactly like he killed him. He just, he sees him, and, and I don't remember if he purposefully allowed him to die. I don't know if it's, I think it's kind of ambiguous. But he he basically watched this guy die, and now is racked by guilt and felt like he could have done something to prevent it now fast forward you know over the course of the movie we see him like just living in this absolutely miserable existence and then you know the movie ends with him trying to take hold or take control of the light from the lighthouse it destroys him but i wouldn't really describe his character as arrogant i would describe him as hapless i would have to disagree well uh he's I think he has, he is arrogant because I don't want to, like I say, I'm, I'm saying that Thomas Wake constantly kind of describes Thomas Howard, Thomas Pattinson's character, uh, uh, Robert Pattinson's character, as being arrogant, as in thinking he knows better, that he doesn't want to work, he's mm-hmm. lazy, that he is this arrogant person who doesn't realize his place. Mm-hmm. That's why he finds, uh, that's why Thomas Wake, uh, Willem Dafoe's character, gets so mad at Robert Pattinson's character. When Robert Pattinson says, well, let me see the light. I, I should see the light. Yeah. He gets mad because he's arrogant. It's like, you are not ready to see the light. You are not trained for this light. And if we follow through with the fact that this place is a place of torment, of a place of self-reflection, kind of, for Robert Pattinson to eventually realize his arrogance mm-hmm. at the end, then it makes sense that eventually he will have to kill Thomas Wake. He will have to follow through with the myth of Prometheus mm-hmm. that eventually leads to his death. He is arrogant because he won't follow his superior. He won't follow the titan that is Thomas Wake, that is the owner of the lighthouse, that is the owner of the fire. Yeah. Of the gods. Well, he does. I, don't, I think the reason he doesn't follow him is because he's like insane and neurotic. I mean, I don't, I don't think that we're supposed to... I can't really endorse... I'm just gonna call him Willem Dafoe for the, instead yeah, of like right. oscillating between like the actors and the character's name. But I I I can't really. I mean, I see like Willem Dafoe's character as you know super uh, super neurotic and insane. I mean, he, he he's literally. I mean, he's on obviously had his mind corrupted by the lighthouse. He is berating Robert Pattinson for. You know, not scrubbing the the, uh, floor um, thoroughly enough. These lodges is more ramshackle than any shanty boy's camp I ever seen. The Queen of England's old fancy housekeeper couldn't even done no better than what I done. Because I tell you, I scrubbed this here place twice over. And I say you did nothing of the sort. And I say you swab it again and you swab it proper like this time. And you'll be swabbing it ten times more after that. And if I tells you to pull up and apart every floorboard and clapboard of this here house and scour them down with your bare bleeding knuckles, you'll do it. 
And if I tells you to yank out every single nail from every mold and nail hole and suck off every speck of rust till all them nails sparkle like a sperm whale's pecker and then carpenter the whole light station back together from scrap and then do it all over again, you'll do it! And by God and by golly, you'll do it, smiling lad, cause you like it, you like it cause I says you will. It doesn't seem like Robert Pattinson's character is lazy. From what we see over the course of the movie, he's sort of doing most of the legwork, you know, to sort of uh, um, kind of accommodate for this old, yeah. like, like uh, uh, um, domineering older man. And, uh, you know, then there's the scene where they're painting the lighthouse and he's, like, yelling at Robert Pattinson and then, like, lets him fall. Easy! Never been in better hands. Easy! Quit your flailing, lad! I ain't! Y'all! Keep still! I am! And, um, I don't know. I can't, I can't endorse his... I mean, he clearly does think that Robert Pattinson is this, like, arrogant upstarter or whatever. But he himself has clearly had his mind completely wasted by the forces of, um, of italicized lighthouse. the lighthouse. Yeah, because the lighthouse is the place where Robert Pattinson is forced to deal with what he has done. And so the lighthouse itself is creating a situation very similar to the situation he had when he worked as a lumberjack in Canada. Tom, uh, Willem Dafoe's character is basically acting exactly like his old foreman that he either killed or let die. Yeah, we're not really sure. Yeah, we're not sure. So I, my thing is, I'm saying is that this lighthouse exists as a place outside of space and time that is forcing myth to repeat itself. Robert Pattinson has been chosen to play the role of Prometheus. And once again, he peers into what mankind is not ready for and he has to suffer punishment for it. Uh, that's why I believe that that's how this those two myths are connected there that there is kind of like here he's been judged he's being judged and he's being forced to repeat the actions that happened millennia before him mm -hmm. supposedly if we're saying that myth is real and it did happen we're not saying actually did happen but we're saying that we did mm -hmm. you know, to move forward that Robert Pattinson has been chosen to play the role of Prometheus in this strange place that exists outside time and space in order for Robert Pattinson to somehow reach redemption or a cleansing of sin. But at the end, it's kind of the point is that he fails. He fails to find purification. He, he succumbs to repeating the mistakes that happened millennia before him. And so he suffers by suffering the same punishment that Prometheus does. Now, that, that's the lighthouse. And I want to talk about Event Horizon. Let's do it. So, I wanted to say that these two movies are actually very similar. Yes. Uh, well, I, I don't know about that. I think that... I mean, when I say that the light... I mean, because, like, again, I've, I sort of hit on this thing that The Lighthouse is about... Um, is a movie where ult ultimately my read of it is that they are in some kind of purgatory. I mean, we are definitely in agreement on that. I think... The reason I think that is because, like, I mean, part of it is that, you know, throughout the actual story and the dialogue, there are all these themes that come up of guilt 
the sort of you know having to deal with uh, the the actions or regrets from your past life. You know, there's a moment in the uh, script, famously, where Willem Dafoe says, "How long have we been on this rock? Where are we?" You're so mad, you know, I'm not up from down. How long have we been on this rock? Five weeks? Two days? Where are we? Help me to recollect. Who are you again, Tommy? I'm probably a figment of your imagination. This rock is a figment of your imagination too. You're probably wandering through a grove of tag alders up north in Canada, like a frost-bitten maniac talking to yourself. Knee deep in snow. You know, it sort of like implies this sense of like timelessness and spacelessness. And then the movie itself just has this like, you know, weird tone and atmosphere of kind of like, there's almost something otherworldly about it. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, talked to somebody about this movie and he, I think he used the word like transcendental to just describe like what this movie feels like. Now, Event Horizon to me is a movie that I really enjoyed. I think it's like a really fun, slick movie. It makes sense that Paul W.S. Anderson directed it. It has all of these like, you know, there are all these like sort of tricks and like angles that he uses to, like I said, just give it a sense of like style. Yeah. You know, the scene where, where Sam Neill is in this like greenlit tunnel and he uses this like uh, pretty like famous technique. I think, I think he uses, he does this in the movie. I don't know, I don't remember what it's called. The dolly zoom, or sometimes called the vertigo effect, started in Hitchcock's film Vertigo in 1958. The shot is essentially an optical illusion caused by zooming in or out on the camera lens while tracking the camera forward or backward. The result is the foreground stays in the same position while the background appears to squeeze or stretch. You know, there's a lot of explosions, a lot of the production design to me feels like something out of like a video game. It's a fun movie. And I think that it also has a theme of like, they're, they're dealing with you're dealing with issues of like hell and like other dimensions or whatever. But as far as like the actual sort of stylistic tonal spectrum, I feel like these movies are about as different from each other as you can get. But I want to hear your theory oh, yeah. about the connection between them. So, so go off. For the events of the for the events of Event Horizon. Uh, once again, we come across two men who have been chosen to play the roles of the, the supposed gods and Prometheus. Um, who, sorry, who, you're saying the characters in this movie, like two of them? Two of them have been chosen by the event horizon, place that exists outside time and space. Like I've uh -huh. said, these places are entities that have minds of their own and can create the, uh... The very kind of recreate events of myth and lore and to in order to help those involved in these incidents to eventually arrive to redemption or purification mm -hmm. or punishment it yes their judgment it is their place of judgment they have been condemned to these places mm -hmm. and when they arrive to these places they have to experience these things and they have to come out on the other side either 
judged as having been purified or judged as having needing to be punished further. So in these two, uh, Captain Miller, Lawrence Fishburne, he is going to play our Prometheus, a man who is the captain of the Lewis and Clark, who is journeying to rescue and investigate the the reappearance of the vessel, the Event Horizon. Mm -hmm. uh, as the movie goes on, we find out uh, Captain Miller is, has committed a sin. Now, it's not a sin, as you might say, right? Supposedly, he was on a ship. Yes. And it caught. there was an oxygen leak and eventually caught fire. Mm -hmm. And one of his crewmates caught on fire. And his crewmate cried out to him for help to yep. be saved. And instead of saving him, Lawrence Fishburne's character, Captain Miller, mm -hmm. closes the airlock behind him and leaves him to die. Now, you might say that was his only choice. Yeah. But we're not... Kind of. That's kind of like... It's ambiguous. To, it's ambiguous, right? Mm -hmm. A little ambiguous. We don't know exactly. Captain Miller sees it as this is what's happened, but obviously it weighs heavily on his soul because he constantly has visions of it when he is on the event horizon. I want to bring back uh, to Robert Pattinson's character. Okay. He has visions of his old foreman. And yes. you brought up it's ambiguous whether he killed him or he let him die. Once again, ambiguously, Captain Miller might have left him to die, or might have done whatever he had to do. So Captain Miller plays our Prometheus. Now, for the embodiment of the place, we have uh, Sam Neill's character, uh, Weir, Dr. Weir. Mm -hmm. He literally created the Event Horizon and is coming back to it to act as the Event Horizon's actor, on the terror that is about to be committed on the crew of the Lewis and Clark and specifically Miller himself. So, uh, we know that the Event Horizon, his purpose is to journey through uh, dimensions. Well, it's meant to open up a gate, mm -hmm. uh, a gateway in order to travel faster than light between two points in space. Uh, for some reason, uh, there was a malfunction in its original test. It disappeared to who knows where mm -hmm. and who knows when. And when it came back, the original crew is dead. Uh, the captain of that crew leaves behind a very eerie message in Latin, uh, save yourself mm -hmm. from hell, mm -hmm. implying that this ship has been to hell and come back. That the gateway that is being opened on the event horizon is actually a gateway to hell or purgatory, more specifically hell. And this come back, it is now the event horizon when it came back has become a place that exists outside time and space and has become a place much like the lighthouse where these judgments and recreation of mythological events have to happen uh, once again. And so we see once again, the, the events are played out between Captain Miller and Mr. Weir, where on board the event horizon, Weir uh, starts losing his mind, seemingly mm -hmm. losing his mind, much like Thomas Wake is this insane person who's weighing heavily on Captain Miller's judgment and seems to question everything Miller does mm -hmm. and seems to be causing the deaths of Miller's crew. Mm -hmm. And uh, Miller is doing his best to try to prevent Weir from doing these things. Uh, and the ship and Weir together are trying to make, make Captain Miller fail like he did years ago. Uh, he, but what's he? What is what is? Um, I mean, what is the sort of uh, task 
that Miller is trying to accomplish that makes him like Prometheus? What's this Herculean thing that they're trying to, to prevent him from doing? Now, Miller is trying... I think his task is to allow his... Get some of his... Allow some of his crew to survive mm-hmm. in order to bring back the message that what they are seeking through this method of gateway travel mm-hmm. is something that mankind is not ready for. Yeah. Like, much like the fire that Prometheus brings to the gods... And much like the light that Robert Pattinson is not supposed to look at. Well, he's well. That would sort of make him the opposite of Prometheus. If he's trying to bring back a message to yes, the human race exactly. that you shouldn't be pursuing this, then he's sort of he he would be the messenger telling Prometheus, "Don't." Yes, exactly. But the, we're going along with the line that what Prometheus originally did mm-hmm. was wrong. Mm-hmm. That Prometheus failed to do what the right thing. And that's why he's punished. Yeah, but Miller's what he's doing is the right thing. Yes, he's doing the right thing. Yeah, exactly. That's that's the that's kind of the point of the movie is that the right thing to do is to allow to escape with his crew and forget about the event horizon. Something that Doctor Weir absolutely does not want to do, even though the event horizon could possibly do all these things. It could be a new scientific marvel for mankind if it could mm-hmm. be studied and all this. But Miller doesn't care about that. What he cares about is the safety of his crew and mm-hmm. to get and the human the race. And the human I mean, race. Because it's not possibly, even about it's not even a matter of scientific innovation. It's oh this is now this is now like the xenomorph from alien. Like this getting to Earth just means damnation for everybody. Yeah. It's a little bit more clear in the event horizon which choice is supposed to be made. Now, yes. I will admit that. I mean I'm not saying these movies like you said stylistically the movies are on opposite ends. But the point is that Miller is forced to make a choice. Mm-hmm. And I think that choice is epitomized at the very end when... Actually, throughout the movie, Miller does a lot of things to make up... To redeem himself from abandoning his crewmate the yeah. first time. He, he uh, travels through the vacuum of space as quickly as he can to save Justin, uh, someone who's been possessed by the Event Horizons... Uh, yes. forces that's trying to kill himself he leaps through space and saves him preventing him from dying he keeps the doorway open to allow uh uh the the doctor oh, what's her name uh oh uh str- 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 strack the blind the blind chick strack strack yeah Strack. more like Doctor Stacked. Doctor Stacked. <laughs> there's uh, a there's if you know what I mean guys <laughs> she's uh Miller keeps the doorway open, extends his hand, and, and could possibly sacrifice his life to save her. Uh, when he loses sight of his gun in the, in the front deck, when looking for Sam Neill, he finds his crewmate, instead of leaving her there, or prioritizing hunting down Sam Neill, he prioritizes saving her. Mm-hmm. And so he makes the decision that human life is more valuable than supposedly the forbidden knowledge uh, that he doesn't understand. Of course, it's very obvious which decision he has should make mm-hmm. in this movie. Yeah. Not arguing that it's less, more ambiguous or less ambiguous. I'm saying that he has been picked to play a role and he plays the role mm-hmm. the way he's supposed to play the role. As in to break the cycle that Prometheus started. He breaks it. He escape. He does not escape, which is kind of the point, but he is not punished for his decision. At the very end, uh, he's asked, do you see, do you see... And he turns around and he says, yes, I do see. 
Mm-hmm. And he does see the grand scheme of things that what's important, what's not important. This is when Wheel asks him, do you see the um, the dimension that's been opened yeah, up? Yeah, something at the very end when uh, Miller decides to blow up the, the bridge, thus uh-huh. saving the rest of his crew and sacrificing himself. Uh, in a way, he is purified in flame. Yes, he's... Baptized by fire. Baptized by fire, yeah. But, um... And you know what also I want mm -hmm. to draw to? In The Lighthouse, uh, Willem Dafoe's character describes the light in The Lighthouse as being, like, from St. Elmo's uh, fire, right? Mm -hmm. And so uh, when Robert Pattinson does peek into the light of The Lighthouse, he's not baptized in flame. He is punished by the flame as he is thrown out of The the Lighthouse and he tumbles down the steps and everything. And the, the, the opposite is true in Event Horizon where Miller is instead baptized in flame and he is purified of the sin he committed of abandoning his crewmate by saving the rest of his crew and preventing dangerous knowledge from... Going back to her. So I think that those moments are similar in the sense that they both involve each character kind of having these this very like pinnacle moment when they're confronting their the thing that they're guilty about, yeah. the thing that weighs on their souls. In Event Horizon, it's a moment of redemption because Lawrence Fishburne's character, Miller, right? Yeah. Is basically suffering from like I would call it survivor's guilt. I mean, he really, I mean, you know, had no choice but to leave his former crew member out to die. I mean, from the way he describes it, like, based on everything we can see in the movie, he's nothing but, like, a straight shooter who wants to protect the lives of his crew members. But he's clearly, like, consumed by this thing that happened to an older crew member and then he gets to like redeem himself at the end of the movie by uh, sacrificing himself so he can save his current crew members and save humanity. Now, in The Lighthouse, again, and this is why I like the idea that Robert Panson's character, he's not really arrogant. He's not really heroic anyway. He's just kind of hapless. I mean, you know, it's sort of a movie that kind of like, it, 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 he, I mean, he's basically ended up in this place where he's also consumed by guilt, you know, from this thing that happened where he, he, he watched this, this man in front of him die, but there's no redemptive arc to it. Oh, no. It's I mean, a movie that just ends in his destruction and it ends. He repeats his mistakes of the past, kind of. Sort of. I mean, he's consumed by his mistakes of the past, and he he allows himself to um, succumb to alcoholism, to insanity, to, um, I mean, you could call it envy. Maybe it's not arrogance, but he he definitely covets the lighthouse and, and comes to covet the light that, like, Willem Dafoe, who again, he's it's not like he's the good counterpart, like he's insane oh, no, no, too. No. Yeah, he's awful too. But it's uh, it's a movie that I think, like I saw a, uh, a headline that just said like Robert Eggers talks about how The Lighthouse is about, you know, finding humor in suffering. And I feel like that is like, that's a helpful way to look at it is it's almost like a dark comedy and it's almost just about like making trying to make sense of this, like, absolutely grueling uh, uh, existence that is uh, that is life, Ramel. <laughs> so uh, that's kind of how I read the two movies. Yeah. Well, I think The Lighthouse has a much more 
Whereas Event Horizon is sort of a, a, a classic story of good versus evil, The Lighthouse has this very bleak and sort of fatalistic look on, you know, just what it means to exist. I suppose that's true. I'm just... That's, and that's my interpretation. I like it. I just... I keep thinking back to all these similarities, you know? They are... I mean, they're both movies where... I mean, I, I, I think when you, you know, proposed this idea for the episode, I was like, that makes sense because they're both movies where um, the, uh, the setting... Is, the, uh, is isolated. It's uh, far from help. But more importantly, it's movies where the the setting, the haunted house, if you will, is the actual villain. Yeah. And it 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 becomes something like, like I said, the zone in Solaris, or, or the zone in Stalker, yeah. the, or Solaris in the movie Solaris, where it becomes a zone of places of reflection. Yeah. Redemption or judgment, as you would, as you said. And turning people against each other. Like, actually, one of the most disturbing scenes in Event Horizon is when they finally get to see the footage from the, uh, the, original the old crew. crew. Yeah. yeah, what happened to them. And it's just, like, some of the most, like, like perverse things you'll ever see. Like, a guy who's, like, grinning while he's, like, holding out his eyeballs that he's gouged out himself. I think there's, like, a couple of, um, like, images of rape that you see. I think they're weird. They're yeah. Weird. So, um... Uh, cannibalism, uh, uh, murder, impalement. It's, it's very gruesome. And the ship caused them to go insane. So the, the point is, folks, uh, sometimes the greatest evil... Is, is within space. Oh wait, oops. You said within. Outer it's space. inner space. Uh, Let's meet halfway. I thought it was outer. I thought you meant aliens. Just, aliens in general are just evil, I guess. Um, <laughs> no. Probably they probably are. I mean, would you want to live to see aliens? No, they'd wipe us out. Yeah, I've had this conversation. Paps. <laughs> yeah. I'm just. I don't know, man. I still think. Uh, Robert Pattinson's character is arrogant, and I also have to argue Captain Miller's character is also arrogant. Mm-hmm. What sense? I mean, they're both. Well, maybe there's a little, there's a thin line between arrogance and confidence. Okay. And I want to say Miller is very confident, but it, he walks that line of arrogance where he does question weird when he's still saying about every little thing he mm-hmm. does. Very arrogant that he knows better. He's the guy in charge. Very. In command of things, uh, but you know it's it's different. And also, I, I want to say this is another one. The lighthouse is a beacon; it, it's literal beacon, mm-hmm. and the thing that leads people to the event horizon. It's it's emergency beacon. Okay, I'm sorry. <laughs> that I mean that you know those are those are valid um, yeah. parallels. It's the, it's just a, so what what could be real? Is there a grand myth in the universe? Where there are places that exist outside space and time that force us to contemplate our sin and seek out redemption and judgment. And these places force us to relive uh, ancient myths, which uh, I guess in general everybody Mm -hmm. knows myths are kind of like reflections of the human condition, of our human mentalities, right? Yeah. Like how many of us are arrogant? And how many of us are Prometheuses? How many of us are Icaruses? How many of us are are Arachnes? Mm-hmm. Uh, all these ancient myths. How many of us are Job's? How many of us are? 
Yes. Or Moses is and all that. There's there's a thing to myth, you know. There's a thing to Oh, the of course there is. I mean, I've I mean, I don't I don't my whole thing is like I don't know, but like sort of my intellectual like default is you live, you die, there's nothing there and there's really no meaning to life, you know. And if there is, it's probably never going to reveal itself to us, you know, short of some yeah. um, supernatural magician's trick. But unless you get sucked into a place that exists outside time and space and forces you to deal with your sins. Let's, um, I mean, can we go to that seven portal? Can we record a podcast at the at seven, the seven portal gates of ins- hell? insane and- asylum? <laughs> it's going to be like uh, an episode of, uh, Episode one, if anybody, if you're looking for a good podcast, shout out, shout out to E1. Um, it's 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 the first and only episode of a fake podcast. But before we wrap up the show, you um, made some allusions to a shared universe theory, and I was wondering if you would like to um, flesh that out. Oh, if you're um, able to. That's what I was uh, trying to say. Is that we our uh, shared universe between all the movies we've done, or between no, the just Horizon just I mean it, that would be fun Lighthouse. maybe, but no, just keep it limited to Event Horizon. Oh Lighthouse. well, I think I that's kind of what I've been doing is that I think there is a shared universe that there is a force out there that these places that exist outside time and space okay, got it. exist in this shared universe with Event Horizon Lighthouse, and once again. Uh, Captain Miller is mm-hmm. forced to be to play the same role as Thomas Howard of Prometheus in these places that do exist that time outside time and space. I believe the lighthouse exists outside time and space. Mm-hmm. This place that uh, Thomas Howard uh, ended up uh, arriving to, maybe while he was still alive, maybe while he was dead, uh, and here he is forced to confront the sin he committed. When before he arrived at the lighthouse and he fails his judgment to receive redemption and is thus punished as opposed to Captain Miller who arrives at his own lighthouse, the Event Horizon, Mm -hmm. where he is also forced to confront his sins uh, before he arrived at the Event Horizon. And but here he does find his redemption rather easily Mm -hmm. uh, and he uh, is purified. Both are purified in light. Uh, One is condemned to punishment. Miller is condemned to baptism by fire and mm-hmm. purified. Uh, that's kind of the shared universe that I believe exists, is that these places outside time and space exist as places of judgment, where souls are yes. wander into and are forced to confront uh, all their sins. Kind of like um, the story of... Uh, you remember that movie... Uh, as above, as below. Or... I didn't watch that, but that looked um, yeah, it's looked kind of like a, some Dante's Inferno stuff. Sure. Of. Well, I mean, based on the trailer for those movies, it looked like it's. I mean, it, it really has become a very common trope. Like I remember that movie. I remember there was another movie that came out a while ago called Flatliners with um, what's her face, Ellen Page. Yeah. And like the point of like all of these movies, it's like. It's, it's, um, you're not like confronting a monster, you're confronting your own inner demons and regrets and like traumas. And that's sort of like the main villain here. But, uh, but I guess to your point, like, to the the places, just like this house will. 
Just like this house that you've been condemned to to confront your sin. Just like uh, Event Horizon is a depiction of hell and the lighthouse is a depiction of purgatory and they both sort of exist in the same, um, you know, paralleled spheres. This house, all, I guess it, it sort of straddles the line between purgatory and hell. That's what it's felt like these last, uh, these Two days. last couple of weeks. Two days. What? Two days. How long have we been here, Will? What have we been? Yeah, Where mean, have we been? Um, well, we're on... Located in Houston. Zip code... If you want to... If you want to... If you want to fulfill any of my Amazon wish list items, you can, you know, like... Nice. You can count. You can uh, uh, categorize that as a what's it called? A tax deductible um, gift on your uh, you know taxes. If you want to <laughs> send me anything on Amazon or send us anything, maybe some cool musical some, equipments, maybe a new TV. Thick hummus. You can send us your thick hummus. Thick hummus. I just made a you know I've been going through the hummus pretty. Pretty quickly. So, if you don't want to read that as a weird, uh, creepy euphemism, which I don't even know how that would work. This I mean, is you're not send, a creepy euphemism. You're, you're, you're the one making it a creepy euphemism. You're not gonna send. Uh, I mean, you're all you can send us in the mail is you know thick hummus. Thick hummus. Yeah. So it just sounded like in the context of what you were saying on episode. Black. What what could what could Five. I what could I mean? I, I said you like. I don't know. I don't know what that like means. They comments. Well, I said I. You know, it doesn't matter. Let's not relitigate this. <laughs> um. Till next time. Um. Stay safe. Stay healthy. Watch the lighthouse. And redeem yourself of your sins. And watch it again. Uh, watch it a third time, like I did. Watch Event Horizon. And I've pretty much quit social media at this point, but if you want to um, at me on Twitter at Will underscore Messenger and tell me what your favorite movies about isolation, judgment, purgatory, hell are, any one of those, you know, all or above things, tweet at me. And you can also email Ramel at, um, is it? <laughs> Till next time. Uh, uh. Awesome.